Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I don't see, you don't have your face mask on to avoid coronavirus. Do you feel safe? I heard I just shouldn't rub my eyes. Okay. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but I will make sure and not rub my eyes unless my hands I, are clean. Just getting a lot of advice from the internet and I feel like I'll be okay. Right. Exactly. When in doubt, Google or YouTube or Facebook, whichever one you choose. Um, it's Yeah, it's kind of crazy and the market's certainly reacting to it, but uh, on to more exciting stuff. Matt, our mud touches just about everything, doesn't it? It certainly does. And that includes tools. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I say that kind of comically just because it's, you know, it's, it's so common in the drilling fluid world. Um, you know, oftentimes tools are designed to be able to withstand the fluid that is passing through them. There's lots of pressure, lots of temperature, uh, lots of shear. There's a lot going on down there. And so it's always important to have tools that are compatible with our fluids. Um, a lot of that comes down to communication, making sure that us as a drilling fluid provider, uh, well, I'm sure the operator surely knows what kind of fluid we're using, then relays that to the directional company. But the operator is normally the one who's delegating and, you know, facilitating all this. And a lot of times service companies don't talk and not because they don't want to, just because it just the flow of information is that doesn't go that way. But uh, if you're using something like a direct emulsion or anything that's kind of unique, it's always important to make sure that the directional uh, team, as well as the operators, and anything that our drilling fluid is passing, they understand what the makeup of that is. So I think today it'd be important to talk about tool compatibility, what goes into that, and how we can address it, plan for it, and things of that nature. Sure. I mean, it's... It's one of those, what's so frustrating is there's so many different things in a drilling fluid, right? It, whether you're talking about oil-based mud or water-based mud or direct emulsion, whatever, whatever it may be, um, I can put just about anything in there. Um, and it's going to be a little different, but a lot of it's going to be the same. And sometimes it's difficult to tell, uh, you know, anytime something fails, everybody says, oh, you know, could this be the mud? You know, these elastomers aren't supposed to wear down like that. Could it be the mud? And it's like, well, um, Maybe. Uh, I have my doubts because we've done this hundreds of times before, but uh, there are there is some testing we can do, and I thought it would be helpful for the listeners to know, you know some of the things that you can do in advance or part of a review um, to try and get some idea of, of the likelihood of incompatibility or at least identify something up front that's not compatible. Sure. So elastomers, that's very common. Uh, a lot of times, if you're on the rig or you're in meetings, operations meeting, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, we have a tool failure. Well, did you see any rubber coming across the shakers? Yeah, it seems like the motor chunk because the elastomer or whatever. I'm not a directional guy, so I'm not 100% familiar with the terms always. But uh, a lot of times that can happen where the internal parts of the, the motor that are rubber uh, can, you know, wear down. And then all of a sudden they start coming back through over the shakers. So Matt, how would you describe elastomer testing and what is involved in doing that? 
So there's there's uh, the testing in the lab is is pretty basic. Now, granted, it gets more sophisticated. So there are broad methods on this because it affects a lot of different industries. But to kind of cover some of the things that that a drilling fluids lab or or a lab, uh, you know, maybe not a drilling fluids lab, but a lab, you know, that works in the oil field could help. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is what we do. We we do these small scale. We call them coupons, um, and they're basically just little. Uh, these elastomers can be any sort of shape they're molded and so sometimes you can get them just in like a it's like an eight and a half by 11 sheet and they have a punch where they cut out and usually it's like the shape of a wishbone and sometimes i just use scissors and cut them in rectangles of similar size Mm -hmm. but um there's a standard wishbone shape and i'll get into why that's helpful you basically stamp stamp those out they're all the same size what have you and then you expose this to samples of your fluid Um, and so there are things that might change. Um, so very first thing you'll do is you'll take a digital caliper and measure all the dimensions you can thickness, length, width. Um, normally with those wishbones, you measure the thin sides and the, the, you know, the wider side. Um, and you can soak it in different, you know, the fluid and, uh, it's pretty basic, but if I stick that in a mud and you know age it at temperature for a while and then i take it back out clean it off and it swelled a whole bunch Mm -hmm. or it started to crack there's some visual thing that happened we'd say well that's that's something we need to take another look at because if it's it's that easy to do it here it's going to be that easy to do it anywhere Hmm. Um, but we, we also have some quantitative test equipment that we can use so one thing we have in our lab is is a um for durometry or basically like the hardness of the material Okay. So it's got a little spring-loaded probe, and you press against it, um, and it's calibrated. It comes with little chunks of rubber that are like your calibration standards, and then you can stick it against one of these pieces of material and see how much resistance it gives relative to deformation. And then you do that before and after exposure, and if it got a lot softer, got a lot harder, um, that tells me something. Yeah. The challenge when I say softer, harder, bigger, smaller, that that kind of thing is. Um, these, the, the error band on all this stuff is huge. So it's like, if it sways like 40%, that's a big deal. But sometimes even if something gets 20% bigger, that may not actually mean much. Hmm. Um, and it, 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 so it's a little tricky. You kind of have to use all these data points together and narrow it down just because even if you think about trying to measure something, you know, you're going to have a little bit of inherent error into how you measure it. If it's a soft material, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, another thing that, especially depending on if it's a ceiling element or, or something like that, you can, you can measure, um, basically it's tension or compressive strength. So that the, the nice thing about that wishbone or, or of that coupon is that's where little clamps can get on either side and you've got a uniform width in the middle and I can actually use an instrument and pull Oh, okay. And see if it, you know, how much it takes to break apart relative to before, you know, before it was exposed. Um, and so if we see changes like that, that's another, you know, observable thing that we can, uh, we can take advantage of. Um, you know, when we're looking at base oils, uh, this is Baxter's least favorite test. It, it does seem a little goofy, but the concept is that um, uh, taking the aniline point, which is an API procedure, um, in essence, this aniline material at a certain temperature will solubilize in oil. Um, and the idea is that at a much higher temperature, it's less likely to interact with the elastomers and oil-based mud. So if mm. I'm picking a base oil, I measure and it's got a high aniline point, 
perhaps that's an advantage. Um, Baxter does not seem convinced. Uh, and <laughs> and if, if for those of you uh, who are maybe new to the show, uh, Mr. Richard Baxter is our president, and, and we did a fantastic episode. Or I say he did a fantastic episode. I'm not sure which number it was, but if you look back through all the episodes, we interviewed our president and uh, just a lot of valuable information with regards to base oils, which is why Matt's referencing that. So again, if you're new to the show, uh, I would I would definitely encourage you to look back at it. It's a, it was a great episode. And, and yeah, so, so we can do all these things. We can actually, the other part of it is if material comes off across the shakers or whatever, it, it, we'd like to take a look at it. Um, it may be, we could take some measurements on it. Normally if we, the trick is, for example, with a motor, you know, that's manufactured by somebody, they may not want to let out who is actually doing their elastomer testing. Um, fun story for some reason i got nominated to speak at an elastomer convention in galveston oh, wow um, and i was like the coolest guy in the room it was <laughs> sad yeah. um but uh everybody was like can you just send me a mud a representative mud because i want to test it and make these new elastomers that are compatible with everything and i just can't get samples and i was like well that's the problem is there's no just mud that's representative of everything and they're like right just send me some you know and and it was like no i don't think you understand like i don't yeah, you know, but um, there's there's a, a step of disconnect between a lot of those those suppliers, and you have to go through whoever's using them as a vendor for, to assemble their tool. Yeah, and this includes like BOP rubbers and and a lot of other things. Um, so it you know it can be that simple, but um, or that complicated, and a lot of it's driven by oil based mud. Um, if if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of it is driven by oil based mud. Most of the time, a compatibility concern can be known based upon base oil. Um, so when we talk, when people say, "Oh, well, diesel has a really low aniline point," so if we introduce a new base oil, we'll have fewer MWD failures, or we'll have, or not MWD, but fewer motor failures. But I guess the the deal is that, from my experience, I haven't seen a bunch of people constantly saying, "If only we could stop these things from failing because of incompatible base oil." It's usually something else. Yeah. Um, but there's also emulsifiers and wetting agents, other things in the oil-based mud that, that can create an issue. Um, and then I just want to also point out that water-based mud can create some issues too. If it's not just a lubricant, the other, the other thing is, um, silicate muds run at a very high pH. They're pretty nasty on a lot of elastomers. Mm. So a lot of the resistance to using them at, or at least the reason that they say we'll never use this again after using it is uh you know all the all the gate seats and things like that on a rig all get torn up oh yeah um and so if you don't change them out in advance uh like there's only certain elastomers and there are charts and very creative looking graphics to kind of try and give you an idea of what's compatible with what um they're fairly limited in how much insight they lead which is why we end up doing all this testing which is fairly limited in what insight it produces um, but these are all things we can do. I guess, I guess that that's the point I'm trying to make with respect yeah, to elastomers. Most definitely. And so, um, we talk a lot about elastomers, which is certainly important, but our fluids also touch a lot of metal. Mm-hmm. Um, describe what kind of testing goes into making sure that the metals are compatible with the fluids that we're using. So a lot of that is going to be driven by corrosion, right? So we've had, we've done an episode on corrosion. We've kind of talked a lot about there's different mechanisms. Uh, but just kind of going back to that, so if we're worried about corrosion, um, if we can source coupons, what we call them, but they're uh, a lot of times they're certified by weight and that sort of thing. They're they're precisely measured. 
We can expose those to fluid, weigh them before and after. We can put them under a microscope and see if there's pits, right. that kind of thing. Um, we can make some of those observations as to whether an inhibitor is, is going to make a difference. Uh, and I think this is, you know, we, we, carbon steel, I think we have a pretty good handle on. When you get into some of these exotic, like non-magnetic parts and some of these other things where people are like, whoa, that corroded like wildfire, but it's the only place. Well, then, then maybe, you know, maybe there's something we can, we can exhibit that in a lab and, and reproduce it and, and attempt to address it. Mm. Um, but almost everything associated with metal is going to be driven by corrosion. Um, and most of it's just going to be weight loss and, and observation. Um, and then gradually scaling up from there is, uh, and granted, if you get into the whole science of corrosion, we could get lost in all the different probes and cool things that are available to test. Um, <laughs> right. But for this purpose, just knowing that there are ways that we can test to see how ab- abrasive or corrosive the, the fluid passing through a certain metal can be. And, and typically that's, like Matt said, is just like coupons. Uh, the most common one that most folks out there are familiar with are, are corrosion rings. Uh, those get placed in the BHA and you measure it, you send it, well... Yeah. Anyway, long story short, you collect it, you send it back to the lab. We do a bunch of testing and then you get a corrosion rate. And, you know, and then, and with that data, it's, it's, you can then adjust your treatments, look at maybe pH levels or certain things that then we can look at and try and get a little more granular as to why it may be, you know, corrosive or, you know, and if it's not, then at least, you know, Hey, what we're doing is working. Sure. So, uh, and, and on top of that, you know, there's, there's the elastomers, there's the metals, uh, but nine out of 10 times and, and probably even, you know, percentage wise more than that, uh, we're drilling with tools in the hole, MWD tools. And so, uh, not only does your chemistry have to be compatible with what your fluid's traveling through, but also the material that's going through it. And because drilling fluid is made up with a bunch of inert material, uh, polymers, you know, bentonite, barite. So, uh, Matt, how would you describe the compatibility with regards to MWD tools? I mean, the biggest thing is plugging, right? Um, and it's it's one of those is classic. Oh, we're pretty sure this is you know that lost circulation material, and I you know I, I think it's just every time I've I've had you know we're we're going to pump some LCM, and the MWD hand comes out and takes a look and says, oh that that material's too big, we can't pump that. Which okay, if you're out there, MWD folks, forgive me, but every LCM we have apparently plugs tools and uh <laughs> even if we've used it a hundred times before what have you um then oh no we can't do that um and so the company man then says i pumped this a hundred times you're pumping it um and we're able to use what we're fairly comfortable with but it could be a new tool it could be you know something has changed and i know there's a lot of efforts to make these things more debris tolerant um but uh for the most part, yeah, it's it's a bit of a challenge because we, uh, um, you know, plugging is is kind of the phenomenon we try and address. And uh, there are ways. There, there's certainly projects I've been involved with where we've tried to basically come up with a a screen or filter to see, okay, does does our LCM readily pass through at this concentration and this concentration? Uh, and flow rate definitely helps, mm. but. Um, the, then you realize that a lot of these flow paths are fairly complicated too. Um, so it's tricky. There are a lot of efforts used to model this. Um, but a lot of times too, bear in mind, these tools are tested and proven in water and, 
you know, lab environment, research facility environments where they don't want a bunch of dirty oil-based mud shipped out. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen until field trials. So understanding what they can and can't tolerate is, is pretty tricky. However, um, we have worked with customers before on just trying to come up with something that resembles that tool path to see for, for the most part, um, anytime. So if you see elastomer coming out of the shakers or whatever, and we can have a sample, that's great. We'd like to be able to take a look at that and understand at least a little bit more. Maybe we can do something in the lab. Metallurgy, same deal. If, if a tool comes out corroded or some parts are in bad shape, pictures, samples, whatever we can get, um, we want to see what we can do with it. And if material plug the tool and they're breaking down the tool, we want some of that material because we can analyze it and we can definitively say what it was. Right. Um, we have the analytical tools available. We have the people to run the equipment. Um, and it's just sort of what happens is tool fails, you change it out, everybody's angry at you, and then you kind of move on and forget about it. And it's really helpful if we can go back and say, no, actually, something else happened here. Yep. Let's not do this again. Right. Um, or, I mean, okay, maybe it was a material, you know, maybe it was lost circulation material that plugged the tool. Uh, we need to know that, and we can record that as an incident, write down what happened, and make sure that if we're running that tool again, that we make the right recommendation based upon what we learned the hard way. Most definitely. And, and with regards to MWD uh, tools, it's always important for all those out there on the rig applying different LCMs is, is, and we, you know, plaster it all over the mud program. If you're going to pump LCM, consult with the MWD hand and something that's even, you know, f can help further is getting a spec sheet. Um, your account representative might have it or, or, you know, someone, you know, within the, within the team may have, uh, depending on what tools you're running, there's an actual spec sheet. Um, you know, we don't make them, but the tool companies set those numbers. And so it gives you a bit of a guideline when it's three in the morning to figure out, well, can we pump 15 or can we pump 20 pounds per barrel? And, and so having that outline, uh, you know, readily available at the rig, cause, uh, it's, it can, and, you know, definitely save a phone call or two in the middle of the night and, and it just helps everyone on the same page. So, uh, one other thing, Matt, that with regards to compatibility that I wanted to just touch on briefly is, uh, the amount of solids, um, in the mud and that can you know, obviously play a part in, kind of all three of these um you know absolutely so solids is something so why don't you touch on you know how important it is to control the solids and if not maybe some detrimental effects to to any one of these three categories i mean solids is mechanical erosion right uh and so especially when you have a let's say you're drilling through a sand uh you know you can have a lot of fine very abrasive material that can tear things up fairly quickly um and you may start to see it in the um the hard way and the pumps and other things if if you wait too long but certainly tool washouts and er, you know erosion in that perspective um a lot of these things depending on the nature of the solids uh but even the concentration you know they just don't run as well mm -hmm. um and ultimately that can lead to some kind of failure uh so um i i think it's it's really worth noting that it's another good reason to catch a sample of mud whenever there's a tool failure, just to say, okay, let's double check and make sure there wasn't something in here um, that was particularly bad where we, we drilled through a bunch of sand and there was a hole in the shakers and right. you know, what did we, what did we do here? Yep, exactly. You got to look at the whole forest, not just one tree is what I like to say, Matt, that's all the questions I have with regards to tool compatibility. Is there anything else out there that the listeners need to know about? 
They just need to get me samples. Whenever this happens, like, right. stop everything. Take pictures. Get samples. Tell me what the metallurgy was or what the elastomer yeah. is. And uh, I, I just uh, I want those because I always want to get to the bottom of these things. Yeah. And I'm so tired of, like, forgetting about them and moving on. So yeah. catch samples, get information, and we're going to keep it from ever happening again and have a more efficient oil field. That's right. There's only so much we can do by reading a mud report. So if, 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 you haven't, if you've been just zoned out listening to this whole conversation and you've made it to this point... Just remember, collect samples. That's the moral of the story. Everyone out there, if you'd like to support the show, please leave us a five-star uh, rating and leave a review. Like it, share it, send it to your friends and all your buddies out there. I'm sure they want to hear all about drilling fluids. And Matt, that's a wrap. Anything else? No, I'm done. Awesome. Thanks a lot, everybody. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.